Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. You're not going to believe what is going down this week. It is like Christmas freaking day, and I'll tell you why. Because Andrew Bennett is here. And if that name doesn't immediately uh, make... uh, Christmas joy happened for you. Uh, you will after I tell you this, especially if you're a Van Halen fan. Uh, holy cow. Uh, he has a book called Eruption in the Canyon. Uh, it's 212 days uh, and nights with the genius of Edward Van Halen. And we all know what a Van Halen obsessive that I am. And we've had Noel Monk, the former Van Halen manager during the David Lee Roth early years. From 78 to 84, we did a two-part special. Of course, we uh, had uh, Greg Renoff when he came out with his Van Halen Rising book about the, the the start of Van Halen. And I tried to just mention Van Halen at any point. It feels good to say the word Van Halen. I'm wearing Van Halen sneakers right now as I, as I say this. Oh, my God, we got Ted Templeman, who's got a book coming out he did with Greg uh, Renoff. Uh, we're going to have him coming up on the show. Um over the next couple of weeks, but man alive. But here's the deal. I had no idea this existed. I don't think anybody did. You know, something out of nowhere, we find out that, oh, yeah, there's this guy who just somehow, uh, you know, through a crazy, weird series of random things and luck and fate, whatever you want to call it, uh, found himself basically living at 5150 Studios uh, for a year, <clears throat> right at the time when... You know, the, the the probably the best time if you're trying to document something was when, uh, you know, Michael Anthony was uh, excused and uh, from the band, and then Eddie's son Wolfgang joins, who gets the idea to call David Lee Roth, and then suddenly the legendary um, lineup. Sorry, excuse me. Hang on. Of Ed of uh, Van Halen, it's back together. Of course, you know. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I I do miss Michael Anthony and. Would have loved to have seen the original four guys, but I mean, how do you argue, you know, me as a father, uh, you know, being able to say, oh, hey, I, I, I don't want to play in a band with my son because people, other people won't like that. I'd be like, I don't give a shit what anybody wants. If I have an opportunity to play in a band with my son who is taking it upon himself to learn all these songs and to really make this happen because Wolfgang is, is what made that reunion happen. Without him, there would have not have, it would not have happened. Uh, speaking of fathers, want to say a happy Father's Day to everybody out there. Uh, speaking of Father's Day, this is the perfect gift to pick up uh, and I'll let Andrew uh, tell you how you can get it uh, later on the show, but for now, just go to eruptioninthecanyon.com and you will arrive the next day via FedEx just like mine did. Uh, it's such a great thing for me. I just opened up a bunch of wonderful gifts for my family. Uh, I got, uh, <clears throat> I'm a big nerd, so I like cartoons and and uh, and, and, and prints and, and stuff like that. And, uh, so we, uh, I just got the Harlem Globetrotters, the original cartoon on DVD. Uh, I got a Prince DVD box set. Uh, and I got uh, the Paul's Boutique. You know that, that really fun um, 33 and a third book series where they may write an album uh, i mean or a book of an entire book about one of your favorite records and there isn't a maybe an album that deserves more uh to have an entire book dedicated to it more than paul's boutique so but speaking of prince as you all know that prince is my uh number one absolute uh inspiration of of, of life and uh last weekend i participated in something just incredible that i was so uh grateful to be a part of 
uh, D'Angela Duff, who uh, is a she's a professor at uh, uh, NYU Tandem. She's a part of the engineering school. She is an amazing person. You guys might remember we've had her on the show a couple years ago when, I guess in, in 2018, when Love Sexy, the Prince album, had turned 30. She did this symposium in Brooklyn um, and had Ingrid Chavez and all these great people be a part of it. And I was like, dang. And so we had Ingrid on the show, and then we had we had D'Angela. Uh, and then she did one the next year uh, on the Batman soundtrack. And then she was, of course, going to do one this year where she actually was going to take on two records, Dirty Mind, and that was celebrating the 40 years, and then uh, Graffiti Bridge that's celebrating 30. And I know the Graffiti Bridge is the much lauded, um, you know, kind of, you know, boo-hooed, shit-upon part of the Prince uh, catalog and era, but fuck that and fuck all of that because I love it. Uh, it is one of my absolute favorites. I, I do understand it. It's I like when you hear people complain about it, the shitty part is is that you can't argue with them about it because they're right. Like what they're saying that they don't like about this is true. But it doesn't matter. It certainly not to me. You know, does it somehow does that somehow change the fact that I saw this, you know, one late night when I was like 17 on HBO and it just literally changed, one of those just life-changing things where you're just sitting there and you're just different after it aired. So um, so it's always been a, been, a, been a part of me and it's been a huge inspiration. Ingrid Chavez is just as much responsible for that. I know a lot of people in the Prince world, whatever, may not have given her the right props for that, but... But, uh, but D'Angela does, and she's amazing. So anyway, so she had this symposium that was, of course, going to be in person before this whole COVID thing happened. And uh, anyway, so she forged on, man. She's so awesome, so ambitious, and God, what a miracle she pulled off to make this happen. So she uh, just did everything online, and I got to be part of this roundtable called State of the Purple Union Address about all the, the posthumous releases that have happened, and you guys probably have, have seen that uh, 1999 unboxing video we did back in January for our YouTube channel, Tricky Kid TV. So anyway, so check that out. Check out, go on Twitter, go online. I think her... Twitter thing is uh, handle is polished solid, and she's part of the grown up folks music uh, collective and everything else. She's just a fascinating person, and is a great person uh, to be around. And then check out that episode that she was on again with Ingrid Chavez. So, anyway, uh, once again, Happy Father's Day. Check out the Prince thing, uh, man. This is a long interview uh, with Andrew Bennett. So generous. I was so glad to have him. I'm not kidding. I was like reading this book and what a I'm I'm so grateful that I'm you know have worked in life to get to a place where I can get a book about my favorite band ever and then call the author and just ask them whatever I want. So if you're a Van Halen fan, rejoice because if you haven't seen this book, you're going to want to get it and even if you have seen it, you have questions. Not because it's not well written. It's just it's just so fascinating. Well, guess what? I ask all of those questions for you. Check it out. Uh, gonna do uh, our quick sponsors just real fast again. Check out Blackstone Labs uh, if you for for your whey protein. I want to thank 
our friends at Rockbox Frisco uh, here at Rockbox Fitness here in Frisco, Texas that have been keeping me rocking. I'm doing their six-week challenge right now, and it has changed my life, man. So shout out to Joe RC uh, and Jay and Chandler and the whole crew there. Um, I just actually my alter ego DJ Tricky Kid just did an outdoor gig uh, with them last week, and I was it was outdoors and you know in Texas, so I was happy to be you know behind the DJ booth instead of uh, actually working out with all of them. But uh, but they're fantastic. And uh, again, don't forget to subscribe to us. We're on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. Everywhere you can get your podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter under Tricky Kid the number two. We're on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. I am personally on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. Uh, so again, check that out. I also wanted to mention real fast that uh, the Coda Works uh, is a kind of like a where it's now like your turn to vote. It's a thing for uh, interior design. Uh, and a friend of of the shows is actually in the running. Uh, his name is Blake Reeves. Uh, and he has uh, a thing that he's done for, for Canvas Hotel Dallas. And if you will go to um, dakotaworks.com. So, yeah. So, once again, so go to dakotaworks.com. Uh, That's C-O-D-A-W-O-R-X.com. Uh, and scroll down to Canvas Hotel Dallas and vote uh, for Blake Ribs today. Um He's a bright dude, and he's in the running, and we would love to see him, uh, you know, get to the front and win this thing, man. So any support you guys can lend uh, to our man Blake, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, so anyway, so now, uh, song of the week. So always it's going to be a Van Halen song. It's going to play into the, uh, the conversation uh, that you'll see a little bit later. So I want to prime you for it. And why not start from the very beginning from what has to be the greatest debut album in the history of the freaking world for the very first van halen album this is a song that closes the record and one of my favorites uh this is a song called on fire and we'll be right back with andrew bennett
sunny Southern California, and you are listening to Roy Turner on Tricky Kid Radio, so turn it up. Okay, so joining us now uh, is filmmaker, photographer, uh, and man, uh, man about town here. He's directed a lot of your favorite music videos. He has a book uh, that has just come out called Eruption in the Canyon. It's 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of, Van, of Andy Van Halen. Please welcome Andrew Bennett. All right, so Andrew, so again, let me be clear, my friend. I have interviewed two presidents and a dozen Academy Award winners, and I don't think I've ever been more excited uh, to speak to somebody about something that I love so much. Wow, thanks, man. I hope I don't let you down. <laughs> There's no way that you could. I swear to God, it was like, is it, I mean, it is Christmas freaking day today. Uh, that I'm able to t talk to you and ask you d uh, directly about this book. All of our listeners out there, of course, know uh, that I am a Van Halen uh, fanatic, and we've we we feature and talk about Van Halen quite a bit on here whenever that we can. And we've had uh, different uh, guests and alumni from throughout the years on the show, so we're very very pleased and excited to have you, Andrew. Um, for for our listeners, I, I wanted to establish a few things about who, who you are. So, uh, again, Andrew, I know that you started your career uh, with a Deftones documentary. And when did that come out? Uh, technically speaking, it never came out. Uh, I made that film in 2000. So, oh my God, I'm old. You know, <laughs> 20, 20 years ago. I never thought I would say that I made something 20 years ago. Uh and it came to be that I grew up with Jeff Thompson. They're five years older than me, but they were like my skateboard punk rock buddies in the neighborhood. Okay. Who would keep me from getting beat up because I loved Fugazi and Bad Brains. I was this little punk rock teenager that weighed 90 pounds. <laughs> and in 2000, I had an idea. I had a Jeff Thompson show. I was talking to the singer. And we were just hanging out. I had no intention of pitching anything. But he was talking about like life on the road, what it's like for a band that has to tour every single year for like nine months. Right. Because despite selling records, we all know this, they're not really making money. Mm -hmm. um, and he was telling me all this, and I was kind of soaking it in. I muttered under my breath, damn, that would make a good documentary. And he looks at me and goes, let's make a documentary then. We need in two weeks, come on tour with us. And so I asked him, how much can you guys spend and he said, Sven, I only sold a million records, I don't have any money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, long story short, I was an assistant to feature film directors. And kind of using that through their connections, through other connections, I got that film made. And I was able to go on the road and get the experience of what it's like to live on a tour bus and in dressing rooms and all of that stuff. And then uh, when we were all done, it was given to the record label. And the head of the label called me and said, I'm just going to quote him, uh, I watched your fucking movie. <laughs> I said, yeah, what do you think? He goes, I thought it was dark and depressing. <laughs> I said, and I said, thank you. <laughs> he screamed at the top of his lung. That's not a fucking compliment. <laughs> and I said, well, what's your issue with it? And he goes, my issue is, I'm trying to turn Deftones into Limp Bizkit, not Radiohead. Oh. And, and my following comment ended that conversation, which said, why would you want to turn them into a band that sells $3 million instead of a band that sells $10 million? Yeah. And then he hung up on me. 
Because you were doing his job for him, apparently the job he couldn't do for him, you know? Well, well we also got that film financed independently. We didn't run anything through, through the label. I don't think they knew about that movie yet, so we were going to punk rock kids. Right. Um, but uh, it never came out, but the fans knew about it. And when I heard that like copies of it had been leaked, I was like, all right, well, it's out there. Um, so the bass player of Deftones, Chi Chang, who's a big influence on me in a million ways, died in a car accident uh, about seven years ago. And so I put that movie up online for the fans. They could download it for five bucks. And the five bucks went to uh, charity for cheap. Okay. So, movies out there, and, yeah. Dark and depressing. I agree. Well, you know what? I, I I'd like to see it. I I was at a. Um uh, God, what's what's that place? Slide bar? Is, is it, what's the place out in? Uh, Cal- there's a place right out where after they have like the Nam convention. There's some bar out there in Fullerton. I think it's called the Slide Bar. And I remember I was out there for a benefit when he was ill as well, and um, and was able to, to to meet a lot of those guys like Chino and uh, and then Sergio and Sergio was in a great band that I loved uh, Quicksand who, who Quicksand band one of my favorite bands ever oh yeah oh yeah so you and I have a lot in common my friend well I do want to come I do definitely want to come back to that because I have a lot of questions regarding because uh, your the book is fantastic and I also don't want to have any spoilers uh, but it does leave a lot of, a lot of questions and, and in a good way not in a confusing way but just in a like oh my god tell me more kind of you know way um <laughs> So I, I've set this up as almost as a bit of a timeline, okay? So right. the book begins with, of course, you getting this call um, that you think is from from a well-known producer, uh, and in fact, it's actually uh, Edward Van Halen. <laughs> um, yes, it is. And that was in 2004, but then it, then it jumps, the book then jumps to 2006. So my first question is, how much of the 212 days were prior to 2006? Uh, 2004, I was there for two weeks. For two weeks, okay. So, yeah, so basically 200 days from 06 to 07. Okay, uh, okay. 04 was just recording with Sammy. It was pretty quick. Gotcha. So, because the reason why I asked that is we need to establish, like, because I'm trying to figure out that for a, a movie that, like you said, that never officially came out, how did it come to be in Glenn Ballard's Radar, where okay, enough where he would be uh, showing this to Eddie Van Halen. So the documentary didn't come out. The music video came out and did really well. The fans loved it. It was on MTV and all that good stuff. Um, and then uh, just typical Hollywood. All right, man, I'm just gonna put it as it is. I was sleeping with this girl <laughs> whose friend was an assistant to Glenn Ballard. And Glenn was looking for somebody with documentary experience because he had just discovered this young girl named Katy Perry. And uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to kind of document her for the next six months to a year as kind of the making of Katy Perry. And I said yes, because Glenn Ballard was going to pay me. I didn't have to wait tables anymore. Right. And then I went to meet Katy Perry, and we got along really well. Like, people probably don't know this, but she's kind of a punk rock badass girl. Oh, cool. 
while, and she goes, so what are you doing for like the next year? And I said, I'm trying to direct music videos. And she goes, oh yeah? Maybe I can help you with that. You wanna go around the world? Oh my God. Talk about being at the yeah, right but, place at the right time. You you are the epitome of this. <laughs> well, yes and no in my life. But, um, but of course I said yes. And Katie and I basically did these like very punk rock little music videos in like Paris and Tokyo and a couple of other places that were really just meant to be seen by the labels that she was getting shots to. Okay. So pretty basic music videos, but it gave me kind of a crash course and everything from, you know, I mean, I'd gone to film school, but like actually like setting up a light, setting up tripods, you know, framing a shot, editing, you know, it was like I got paid well and took around the world to go to music video school. Um, Outstanding. And then, and then we stopped, you know, she was, we were done with our run and Katie, I think a year later, you know, kissed a girl and became Katie Harry. But that's how I got to know Glenn. Okay. And then in 04, 04, Glenn is now working with Dan Um And Eddie is not happy with his bandmates. I'm sure this is coming as a major shock. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but they have issues with the singers. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it's true. So, uh, <laughs> so Eddie's up there one night. Glenn's there with him. And Eddie's just really frustrated and angry. And he says, I, I, sometimes I can't tell you what Eddie does about doing his voice, so I'll do it. I wish there was somebody here to document my side of this shit. <laughs> and Glenn Ballard says, hey man, I know this kid. And he shows them this trailer that was made for the Death Zones movie. And Eddie says, call him, I want him. Go figure that Eddie was drawn to my piece of work that was labeled as dark and depressing. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so I'm in bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. My phone rings. It says Glenn Ballard. Uh, so I answer it. And all I hear is Andrew Bennett. I said, yeah, I guess it's Ed. I had no idea who the fuck it was. <laughs> he says, Ed who? And he says, just like this, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> oh, my God. And I couldn't think of anything cool to say, so I just said, Hey, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> he said, What are you doing right now? And you can't tell Eddie Van Halen you're in bed. That just seems weird. Right. So I just said, Nothing. I said, Nothing. Just good. Come up here. I want to talk to you. So Glenn gets on the phone. He gives me this address where Eddie's house is and 5150 is on Eddie's property. And so I drive up there into this canyon that Eddie has bought. He owns this entire side of a mountain in the Hollywood Hills. I drive onto the property, walking towards the studio. Glenn Ballard walks out, smiling. He hugs me and says, good luck, man. And then he just drove off. Speak more, I guess I'm saying, to the quality of the work of the Deftones documentary, or does it speak more to the kind of almost impulsive way that Ed thinks? Well, I think, I mean, I, I talked to Ed about this. Part of it was impulse, and part of it in the Deftones movie was the way I let the band just express themselves. Eddie saw the rawness and the emotion, but I wasn't making it some fluff piece that these guys were being very direct and straightforward, 
And Eddie is a very direct and straightforward guy. Yep. He wanted, as Ed puts it, I like that film because it was no bullshit. You, it almost seemed like at one point you were actually living at 5150. I spent a lot of nights there, man. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, when I was, go ahead. When I was there, I was still directing music videos. So Eddie wasn't, at first, was just this kind of thing that I did a few days a week. Okay. Um, but to actually be a 5150 or somewhere else was not possible. Um, anything could happen at 5150 anytime. Eddie could decide that he wants to talk to the camera. Eddie could decide that all of a sudden he's just going to go in there and jam. But yes, the first thing he asked me is, so Andrew, what do you know about my band? And I said, well... Not much. He goes, tell me what you know. I said, all right. Uh, I know the song Jump. Because it came out when I was four, and it was called Jump. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he said, what else? I said, well, I, mean, I kind of know that song right here, right now, because it was in a Pepsi commercial. Hmm. And he goes, anything else? I said, no, man. It's, I said, I don't, I don't, I felt bad. I said, I don't mean what's so I was like, but honestly, man, that's all I know about Van Halen. He just got that Eddie Van Halen smile on his face, looked at me and goes, Andrew, we're going to get along just fine. You see, but that's something of, like, the Van Halen, like a guy like me, that's something of dreams. I've dreamed my whole life of getting a call in the middle of the night and him saying, Eddie Van Halen. Now, again, I'm a fellow filmmaker, and I like to think that I wouldn't have blown it in that room but when if, when he said what do you know about my band as cool as I would have liked to have remained I would have been what I would have been like bruh what don't I know about your band like I know every I know every you know and he would have been like great kid thanks for coming you know so hey so it was you know a bit of it but 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 it was guys like you not guys like me who got to fucking sing with the band like, did you know the words to Panama? At that, by that point, um, yeah. <laughs> as, I mean, at that point in my time there, uh, I knew every song front to back, side to side. Um, I would say every song in the Gang Hands catalog, but they played about 15 to 20 songs a day. Um, so I knew all of those songs. So, yeah. I, I definitely knew the words to Panama. So, 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 when, so, so, walk me through that though. So, when you're in the booth singing Panama, you didn't have to look at a lyric sheet, or, or and and also, did you film yourself doing this? No, I did not film myself doing it. In, in retrospect, I wish I had gotten Matt Brock to film it. Uh, nobody else was ever there. It was just Eddie, myself, and Matt Brock, and then rehearsal days, Wolf and Alex. But. Um, but that day, Dave was supposed to come to a rehearsal, and he didn't show up. And uh, Eddie goes, comes into where I'm sitting, and he goes, Andrew, Dave's not coming today. We need a singer. And I was like, what? And then he brought me in, and uh, they did give me a lyric sheet. I had that, but at that point, I didn't really need it. I just kind of glanced at it. Right. And his thing is work ethic. That's it. Work ethic. Come to rehearsal. Give 110%, practice when you're not here. You know, work ethic. And, you know, Dave is off, I don't know, like, doing what Dave does. Um, right. 
you know, when he comes back, the voice isn't really there. And with Sammy in 04, um, you know, Sammy would just come up there and it's just really casual. Right. I don't think Eddie wanted casual. I think Eddie wanted Sammy, like, standing up, singing, sweating, belting it out. Yeah, I just think he wants everybody else to work as hard as he works. Right. He doesn't, his take is that he's not as, he doesn't think he's as talented as he is because it was some God-given gift and he was just blessed when he was born. He'll tell you, practice all the time. Right. Practice, practice, practice. Matt Brock, for those who are listening, is Eddie's assistant who who works on Eddie's guitars there at 5150 and that's pretty much his entire life. He's given his life over to Eddie Van Halen. Is that right? Oh yeah. I mean professionally and personally he handles he handles Eddie Van Halen in every single aspect. There's nobody involved in what Eddie Van Halen does. Only Matt Brock. And, and and how how did that come to be? Do you know that story? I don't really know. From, I, my basic understanding is that Matt was a guitar tech or like an assistant tech on some Van Halen tour. I'm, I, this is my hazy memory. Okay. But, um, I mean, I, I think they just bonded. You know, I mean, Eddie needed somebody like Matt. Matt is extremely loyal. And, you know, he moved in. He lived on the property. Right. Did did but did Matt seem to ever have a problem with you because of that? Because like it was always just him and Ed, and then suddenly there's like this third person who's also kind of living there. Yeah, I mean, he would have days where he was way more introverted, maybe grumpy, but it, I never got any signs that he was didn't want me there. Uh, reality would tell me if Matt Brock had a choice. I would not have been there. Matt Brock proposed to be alone and get his work done. But I wasn't a father to him. Right, right. If I was at my desk, I was quiet. If I needed to do a phone call, I was outside. And as far as in the studio, um, I was just good at finding my nooks and crannies inside the studio so it wasn't necessarily obvious that I'm in there or somebody's being filmed. And, And I had respect for Matt. I stayed out of his way. But we got along great. I considered Matt a really good friend for that year. But was but was Eddie showing you a type of friendship and affection that did you ever see him do the same? Like you mentioned that Eddie would, would actually would greet you with an actual kiss on the lips and yeah. embrace you. Did he did you ever see him applying that same kind of affection and friendship uh, to Matt? Not that. Um, I think that was more a dynamic that Eddie had with me shows, I guess, but he didn't treat Matt like an assistant. He treated Matt like a friend. Okay. I, I mean, I think those guys, I can't speak for them, but I mean, I would imagine they are each other's best friends. Okay. Because they okay. don't see a lot of people, and Eddie's really big on loyalty, and Matt Brock would do anything for Ed. Well, so now walk me through this then, okay? So you were never officially living there, but at one part of the book, there's, you're going to do this thing for Fender with Slash, and you ask Eddie's permission, and he says, yeah, that's cool, just don't do it in here, do it in your room. What was your room? <laughs> my room was basically my room and Matt Brooks' room. It's a room that's attached it's within the same structure of 5150. Okay. Uh, which isn't that big. I mean, it was like the size of a studio apartment, maybe. And it was my desk, Matt's desk, a couch, and a chair and a coffee table, I 
so what what would do this in so when you show up to 5150 how are you getting in did you have a key is somebody buzzing you in is matt letting you in how how are, how are well, you there's a, there's a gate code that you punch in and then Okay, so something as simple as that. Okay, okay. All right, uh, so then... I can't tell you the gate code. Gate code. <laughs> is it 5150? You know, would it be that obvious, right? Um, <laughs> I used... The footage that you shot in 04, has that ever been seen or released anywhere? Uh, I made this music video out of the days we were there, so it's just kind of like, you know, all in the studio, music video, you see some, some of the 5150 properties. Okay. Um, and I only made that because Glenn Ballard said, hey, Matt, you should make a music video with this song. And Glenn Ballard paid me to make it. Um, so that song was just about the time. Oh. Um, from what I understand, that's out there for the public. Gotcha. Okay. From what I understand. Okay. Uh, the rest of the 04 footage is uh, either in Glenn's hands or Ed's hands. So he called me and said, Andrew. And you know what? And that says this too, that even if, you know, like I said, whoever's film Glenn Ballard was showing, whoever showed up still had to hold their own. You know what I mean? Like, so, and you did that so much so that, that two years had passed. And when he was thinking of documentation, he was thinking about you. You tell tell me about it. <laughs> okay, so no, it, goes, it goes to Ed. Like Ed remembers those who did him right, and you know, in '04, I stayed out of his way. Uh, you know, we had a couple of like one on ones that I filmed, where he's kind of pouring his heart out to the camera. Um, you know, he, I think he found it easy to talk to me, and as far as trust, like he just trusted me. I didn't come off as a fan. Uh, right, right. And how long was it before? And again, I said this for me was the 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 biggest revelation, the greatest thing in the whole book that I just savored was when Wolf just nonchalantly, meh, just you know, probably even kidding, maybe says to his dad, "Hey, you know what? We should call David Lee Roth up and uh, so we can go on tour." And And unthinkably, Eddie Van Halen makes a decision that people have literally have lit themselves on fire in terms of petition, expression, protest, whatever it is, for 25 years to make this unthinkable thing happen. And with a small shrug, he goes, yeah, call him. And you would well, what he said was Wolfgang went to Wolfgang went to Eddie and said, Hey Dad, you know what we should do? We should call Dave. If he wants to get if he wants to get back in the band, maybe we we'll go on tour. Ed said, Call him. And Wolfgang said, Well, don't you think it would be better if you called him? And Ed said, It's your fucking idea. You call him. God. And he does. And why did he call him from a landline? Eh, two thousand six. Okay, okay. But some people were so savvy to grab at their iPhone, and this was also 5150 for a time, kind of stops. Right. So there's not a lot of fancy amenities 
think that he was so nonchalant about it because he didn't think that Dave would say yes or it would materialize or do you think he gave it any more thought than that? I don't think he gave it any more thought in that moment. Um, you know, Ed has this kind of like, again, like this very direct attitude, which is, you know, I'll go on tour. Dave wants to get, you know, Dave wants to come back. Great. Let him come back. We'll go on tour. I don't care. Yeah. You know, um, and with Wolfgang, you know, Ed's a really smart, clever guy. With his sense of like, yeah, you call it your idea. But also, if you want to go on tour with Van Halen, you get to know David Lee Roth. Right, right, right. You you deal with that. And yeah, you go get that guy on the phone. Come back when you know if you want to go on tour with that super single phone. Now, so do you actually have him asking his dad that on camera? Not asking his dad, but Wolfgang went to call David Lee Roth, and Wolfgang was very nervous. He didn't know what to say. So I said, well, you know, Wolf, why don't we sit down and write out, like, write it out, what you want to say. At this point, we're pretty convinced that David Lee Roth is not going to pick up the phone. Uh, We just kind of assumed, like, we don't see David Lee Roth as, like, picking up a phone real quick, plus he does recognize the number for some reason. It's probably going to win. Right. Listen to the voicemail before he picks it up. Well, where, where did the phone number come from? Ross number? Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how, did, did Eddie still have it after all these years? Eddie still had, he still had it, and also I believe Wolfgang was calling another landline, actually. I see, okay, uh, okay. So we, we knew that we were going to get, you know, an answering machine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Wolf and I just kind of wrote out his message. And I let Wolf put it in his words, but, you know, we want to be quick and to the point. So this we did film. We did film the phone call where Wolfgang calls Dave Lee Roth. God. And gets his, gets his voicemail, and you hear Wolfgang, this 15-year-old kid, leave a voicemail in the attempt to reunite Van Halen. God. So if you're, if you're glad Van Halen got back together then, you can thank a kid whose mom used to drop him off for Van Halen rehearsals. Right, right. You know what? And I, I always kind of felt like Wolf was kind of the guy, you know, that like, you know, maybe he was doing this for his kid or, or this was a way for him to play with his kid. Now, I also gather that Wolf is also a Dave guy. He's a Roth guy in terms of the, you know, the lexicon of Van Halen. But do you think it was also Dave was because the fallout with Sammy just was was still pretty new. It was still kind of because that that tour in 04 was disastrous uh, with Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony. So do you? So do you think the reason why he was suggesting Dave was because he's a Dave guy, or what, did Hagar? Do you think ever entered his mind at all? No, I think in, at that point the feelings from 04 had really gone away. Right, right. So Ed was going to go back out on the road. It was going to be with Dave. Um, you know, and after that tour, there also been two years of Van Halen talk. Like, now they've gone on the road with Sammy. When is Dave coming back? Right, um, right, right. Sure, so sure. I'm sure Irving Azoff, their manager, was like, well, the money is with Dave. That's right. That's right. You're, you're right about that. In terms of in terms of business, that, that kind of momentum bred its own anticipation. So, yeah, you're right about that. But you were there. There was one other person that was there for that phone call and had a camera, and thank God it was a filmmaker. I mean, this is John meeting Paul, man. Like, this is huge, and no one's ever seen it. 
Um, so we're going to take a quick break. So we, I want to be able to plug a few things for you guys. So again, the, if you're just now joining us, the book is called Eruption in the Canyon. It's 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. We're talking with the filmmaker and the photographer and the person behind the book that was there for it all, Andrew Bennett. Now, Andrew, you mentioned earlier, how can people get this book? And also, there's a, you know, Father's Day is right around the corner, so how can they get this book? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, the name of the book is Eruption in the Canyon, and you go to eruptionsinthecanyon.com. Okay, and I can't say enough about it. You've got to get this book. There's it's a Van Halen obsessive. There's things in here that I've never seen. There's pictures uh, that are all, and the story is just unbelievable. And that's for those that are listening. I hope you're enjoying uh, this this addendum, this uh, this additional, this extra chapter that Andrew and I are crafting here. Uh, but definitely check that out again. Go to eruptioninthecanyon.com today. Order it today so you can get it in time for Father's Day. Uh, it's the perfect companion when you're out by the pool now that summer is here, uh, and it's just a gorgeous book, man. Um, to get back to the timeline just for one second here, because um, I've written obsessively everything <laughs> everything out here. Okay, so so now Dave calls back, but he doesn't call Wolf. Of course, he's gonna do, he's gonna do business with with Eddie, and Eddie says what? Eddie says Dave says. too is it how much investment did, did Eddie have because clearly he could care less if this happened or not because you know if Dave had something because you know Dave didn't have shit going on in those six so or seven whatever so do you what if Ed I mean, what if Dave would have been like well well fuck you then this is kind of how how I thought it was going to go not much has changed after all these years you know, we're talking about a guy who had to then swallow his pride and call a kid to ask him basically permission to join a band that he, that he created his legacy on. And we're talking about a guy who probably isn't really have ever had to swallow his pride a day in his life. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. He's not a, he's not a humble man. He's really nice. That. He's a trip to be around. For, oh. So talk about I mean, that no, thing. I mean, Dave, Dave also has a sense of humor. And, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, guessing, yes, there's probably a moment where Dave's like, I can't believe I have to call this 15-year-old kid. Man, this is crazy. Right. Uh, but there's also, it's so crazy, <laughs> there had to be a part of Dave that thought, man, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of all kinds of things. You know, Eddie testing Dave to see if he'll play along with this stunt. It's, you know, a crash course for Wolfgang. Right, right. You know, go deal with David Lee Roth. can do it under these circumstances. What was your impression of David Lee Roth? Um, that 90% of him is that charisma and crazy. Like, number one, he's authentic. That guy on stage, that personality, that's who that guy is anywhere he goes. That is not an 
that is so it was awesome. Yes. Like the personality of back in the day. Yeah. Um, when he got there, he took it seriously. He was professional and respectful. You know, he didn't come in there and act like an asshole. Um, him and Ed got along. He got along with Wolfgang. Uh, didn't stay long. Uh, stayed about 20 minutes. But I think that day was the Dave's still able to sing. And can these guys be in a room for 20 minutes and not get in a fight? And, and, and you were a change. Yeah. Dave could still sing, and look at that. Nobody killed each other. But the right. actual moment where Ed and Dave reunite, there was only, a, you know what? You, Matt, and, and Wolf, right? And Alex. And, and Alex was there, okay? So please walk me through that. Ed, uh, Dave walks in. Obviously, he doesn't know who you are. He was humble and he was nice, but he was still letting everybody know that uh, you don't want the front man. Right. But, I mean, but, but, but get more specific for me, though. I mean, like, he walks in, like, literally walk me through this. Like, wh- where is Ed? Where is Alex? What are the first words that are exchanged? How did that go about? Uh, I don't want to get too much away. Okay. Um, basically, when Dave arrived, uh, Eddie and Alex are in the studio. Matt and I are hanging out. There's kind of this like, what the hell is about to happen? What has this 15 year old kid gotten us into? <laughs> um, and the town car pulls in. Uh, I've never seen Dave drive a car. Every time I saw him, he was in a town car. Sandy came back, and it was all hugs and this and that. When Dave walked in, everybody just had this nervous smile, and there wasn't a lot of, like, hugs and reunions and talk. It was, uh, I mean, Dave had a, you know, personality, like, hey, hey, man, what's up, Al? Him and Al gave each other a little hug. Uh, and then uh, Ed just stood there and said, all right, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was catching up on the past, talking about the kids. Uh, no. But it's just like you're here to sing, so go sing. I mean, that's the personality. And so yeah, he just there was a, there was that nice moment where like, hey, Dave's in the room. Look at that, it's Wolfgang and it's Alex, and Ed, you know, smiled for a minute. But Ed wasn't there to eat cheese and crackers and catch up, man. Right, 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 right. Ed's here to work. And cheese and crackers are about to come up again, my friend. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yeah, that was like a Freudian. Thing in my head. You know where I'm. You know where I'm going with this, but uh, but oh, yeah. it, it's coming in a second. Before we get there, uh, okay. So what did he sing? He sang "Hot for Teacher," "On Fire," and "Atomic Punk." He sang "On Fire." That's the hardest song. That's why that song didn't make the set list because it's like like when you go see a Van Halen tribute band, they don't even do "On Fire" because that's like the hard the hard one. It's amazing. <laughs> So you're educating me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, well, I did not know that, so in hindsight, that makes perfect sense, because Eddie obviously knows that. So, oh. Eddie picked the song. Oh, that's a... That's, so that makes sense. That, that seems like an Eddie thing to do. Dude, this is a fucking... Rev- Dude, Andrew, this is a fucking revelation. Because, again, because you're not the Van Halen guy, you, you wouldn't know that, but you're right. He was going to throw him the fastest curveball over the plate 
Because again, on fire, I have seen Van Halen tribute bands go, man, we're going to do the entire first album and not do on fire. Because that's the one where the whole song, if you don't know it, check it out after we get off the phone here. It's it's the one where he's like, I'm on fire. I mean, I mean, he, I don't think he has sung on fire since the 70s. Like, I mean, that's how hard of a song that song is. I mean, I know he probably did in the 80s, but you you get what I'm saying. Like, that's, at all the times I've seen, oh, so you know it then. Okay, so cool. That that's that's a revelation. I that that is amazing, Andrew. Thank you for that. For that. And, it's, and, I, and it's good to hear this information from you because I didn't know that. And now I'm looking back, thinking, oh, damn, that's such an Eddie move. Totally. <laughs> you know, he's, he's eccentric in his way or whatever. But you understand, Eddie is a clever guy. He understands human psychology. Wow. You know, like, God. You can read people really quick. That that is God. That's so incredible. Like I mean, you're so right. Like that was it was strategic. It wasn't random. That's right. That's right, man. I, what do you, what was Ed's plan for you? This is, this is what he likes to do. He likes to play. But what do you think in your mind, or if you can offer anything, what do you think he thought that was going to look like? Like, he wants you to document everything, but then what, how was that going to be communicated to the masses, do you think, in his mind? What does that look like to him? I think he had no intention of the masses ever seeing it. Then why, then why, uh-huh. then, then why document it then? Okay. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I think honestly, like probably posterity in a sense. Like he wants this, you know, in a vault. He ever have to show anybody anything? There it is. I see. Um, and I think you know, in 06, no kind of uh, big part of it was the fact that Wolfgang was there. I see. Um, you know, Wolfgang joined Van Halen. Like nobody was more excited about that than Eddie. Uh, you know, so he probably wanted that remember, but, I mean, I shot things, you know, like a filmmaker, it wasn't just like waving a camera around. Right, um, sure, sure. So I was shooting it like I was making a film, 
it's just if a film came out today, it would literally be 90 minutes of Eddie Van Halen playing guitar. And then three minutes, three minutes of pretty dark shit, but he played the guitar all day. And, you know, there was never really a talk or a plan about a documentary. But th- but that was your suggestion when when things started to progress with Roth and they were about to go on tour. But I told him, you know, you see the death thing and that's kind of why I want to do something real and raw on the road with Van Halen. And he goes, well, you know what? I wonder if that to happen. Everybody in the Van Halen camp has to agree on something. He goes, you know the odds of that happening, right? Right. Yes, I'm aware of the odds of that happening. Uh, that's what we're doing for, but, uh, you know, Roth was into it. I've gotten to know Roth at that point. Touch on that. And Alan and I had a great report. Wolfgang and I were playing guitar here and racing golf carts around property like kids. Right. So I wasn't too worried. Uh, and then this is my introduction to, you know, really big, a really big band of this magnitude and the money behind it. Uh, I believe it was Irving Azoff who thought that's David Lee Roth in your book leaves his microphone and it's clearly his microphone because it has his fucking name on it do you right do you think in your opinion that he left that microphone behind on purpose taking a, a can of spray paint and wrote Dave was here you know <laughs> I think it's just his little I, you know I mean if I, I, again I, sometimes I can make what I feel like a safe assumption that was probably Dave's way of telling Ed I'll do that or saying yes let's do this who knows yeah I mean, or, I'm not trying to get in the mind of Dave P. Roth like that's God's well, for sure. Well, and we don't have to speculate, but it's just it's just fun to mention it, though, you know. Uh, but you did. Oh, yeah, because it's, that's part of the fun of being around these guys. Is not a day goes by where you don't think, you know, it's smile on your face. You think, what the fuck? Right, right. But you mentioned motivation, though. So tell me this. And again, with all due respect. So while you're there, he at some point he obviously gets it and starts understanding that that you're a filmmaker and you're there documenting and stuff. So it's not like David Lee Roth doesn't have the ability or the resources to have his pick of filmmakers. What so you know again and, and I mean it's all due respect to you, my friend, but why do you think that he suddenly went called you to have you come over and document something. Do you think it was the fuck with Ed? No, I mean, well, yeah, it probably could have been the fuck with Ed. That would be part of it. Um, I think the other part was at that point we had had this whole shoot tour discussion. So David Lee Roth, um, when he called me, his, this was what he told me. He said, hey man, 
if you're going to come out on this tour, you need to learn what the image of Diamond David Lee Roth is. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, how am I going to do that, man? He goes, you should come up to my house, man, and I'm going to show you. And then you should come hungry, man, because I'm having catered. Dave, it was probably like, let me have this shit. And this is, I actually been around Dave, man. Ayla, dark and ominous. Can you deal with, I just brought caterers who were serving nothing but cheese and crackers, not full of that. On top of that, I told you to come hungry. Let's see if you can deal with that. God. Which I did. I thought it was hilarious. And I had a good laugh. And then he took it to level two of, let's see if this kid can handle the back of the spot. And he said, all right, man. So what I want to do is uh, I want to film this opening to everybody wants some. So, like, during the opening, a movie screen comes down, and it's me, and I'm doing a routine that I do with swords and flags, and the first thought in my head was, I'll shoot this, but there's no fucking way to that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be goddamn mind, I'm going to put down a movie screen. Right? <laughs> uh, and so, I said, all right, man, he goes, I go, he kind of explains like the flags and swords. I go, cool, man, I get it. He goes, no, you don't. He goes, wait right here. And then he came back outside, and we sat in the backyard, and him next to the swimming pool, pulled out samurai swords and these giant, giant oversized flags, and did this whole routine with flags and samurai swords. And then when he was done, all he did was look at me and go, do you understand now? Oh, my God. <laughs> and all I said was, yep. He goes, all right, then, man. He goes, let's film this. I said, where do you want to film it? He goes, at the floor, man. We already got that set up. I'll rent it out for a day. And then he wanted to look at the work of cinematographers. He wanted to shoot it all on 35-millimeter film. Oh, God. I think we spent about $65,000 to shoot that. <laughs> Dave never called Eddie. I brought it up to Eddie. After I met with Dave, uh, I asked Ed's permission, in a sense. I wasn't going to go do shit for Dave's Ross. I knew what happened. I know how this works. Right, right. Dave's got his camp, you know. I'm sure Mike had his camp, etc., etc. And I know Ed, I knew all these things. So I, you know, before we filmed it, uh, I told him, I said, hey, Dave wants me to shoot this thing for him. Are you cool with it? And Ed goes, I don't care. We're never going to use it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> How long is it from the time when you come back from Dave's until the conf- confrontation with Eddie? How long is that? Five days. Why would he have been so mad? Like, how the fuck did this happen? I, I mean, from knowing Ed personally, I mean, he tends to act on emotion. Uh, so if he found himself like that night, guessing the thing I did with Ross, questioning, especially like, questioning my loyalty, you know, or getting paranoid that somehow I, you know, talked about him today. The thing is, is like, if that thought pops into his head, he's acting immediately. Um, most of us in life don't have that luxury to act immediately. Well, right, I right. A lot of people I want to slap in the face right now. Right. I want to slap this person in the face right now, but I can't. But you got anyone can't. Not once ever did I do that man's drugs. Do you have a bag of drugs? Nothing. 
So Andrew, so when when he confronted you, uh, why do you think his reaction or whatever? Why do you think it was so intense? I think at that point, you know, we had spent all this time having wonderful casual days at fifty one fifty. You know, myself, Matt, and Freddie, you know, Wolfgang, and you know, his son, his brother, were there. Um, and then all of a sudden, the full on stage rehearsals happened at the forum. So now Ed is leaving his element. He's leaving fifty one fifty, going to an arena. He's on this full stage. Um, and I think, you know, I think it all came kind of crashing in as a reality. So I think things like choosing sides and granting, are you with Dave or are you with me? I think that element that had been there for all those years started creeping back into his head. And my take was that all of a sudden Eddie spent all these, you know, these last few years inside the studio and now he's going to go back out. And, you know, unlike some bands, I don't mean to put down musicians. But, you know, fuck it, I'm already in the doghouse with Fred Durst. So, <laughs> Limp Bizkit would be an example. When somebody goes to a Limp Bizkit show, your expectations are, yeah, I hope they play Nookie. Right. That's about it. <laughs> right. um, Eddie's highly aware that the expectations of him are completely different. Very, yeah. So, the confrontation was uh, the last night I was there. It was the last night you so, were there. Yeah, basically what happened was, like, I forget what day that was, on Thursday Friday night. Okay. So on Thursday, I'd been waiting to get the word on, am I going to document this tour? So the next night, I'm at, you know, I'm at 5150, and I'm packing up my stuff, and Ed comes in, and he's pretty upset all of a sudden about the David Lee Roth thing, and he has a lot of questions about David Lee Roth, and what's in his house, what did he say about me, what did you tell him about me? Um, and when that conversation ended, I just packed up my stuff and left. That's the last time I've, I've seen or spoken to anybody. So, okay, so so when he confronted you about David Lee Roth, this actually happened after you got the news from Matt Brock. Yeah, so I was up there that night to pack up. I, I, I got it. okay okay because in my mind that was a little weird because in my mind I was trying to figure that out because it, it seemed like the confrontation happened and then like the next day is when you drive to the forum and you get the news so it made me think well maybe that's why that you got the no was because no. of the confrontation the night before but it actually happened in the reverse order so okay so then they leave to go on tour like what like the next day or the day after right Okay. We're going to take a quick break right now. I uh, hope you guys have been enjoying this. Isn't this great? Is this not like if you're a Van Halen fan, isn't this Christmas? This is Christmas, right? Uh, Andrew is so awesome, man. Golly, how amazing is this? So I thought I'd take a quick break and he mentioned about the gene simmons of course you know van halen fans already know this and maybe you know if you're a big van halen fan and you have already know this and you've already heard this but for those that maybe haven't i'm going to play it anyway um 
he mentions what are called the uh, the uh, the Zero demo, which is the original Van Halen, the very first demo that Gene Simmons financed that he's obviously very, very proud of. Uh, and just ask him, he'll tell you. Anyway, so I thought it would be kind of fun uh, for reference uh, to play a song from that. Now, of course, this wasn't sent to me uh, at Eddie's house from Gene Simmons himself, but uh, as a Van Halen person, I uh, of course I have it. Uh, and so this right here is... This is uh, Babe, Don't Leave Me Alone, again, from the, uh, the original Gene Simmons, uh, we're called Zero Van Halen Demos, and we'll be right back uh, with more. such iconic classic films as Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Vulgar. Anyway, you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, this is Marilyn Gigliotti. Most people know me as Veronica from Clerks. It ain't 37. Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hey everybody, this is actor and musician Scott Schiaffo, best known from the Kevin Smith films Clerks and Vulgar. You are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. 
Have you had, in all these years, have you had any run-in with Wolf, Alex, Eddie, Dave, anything? Did you go to any of the shows? Have you, oh. did you make any, have you tried to make contact? Oh, yeah. Well, I've definitely tried to make contact over the years. Okay, talk about that. Talk about the first. Okay, so walk me through that. So they leave to go on tour, or you go and get your shit. They leave to go on tour. From that moment until when? How long was it before you decided to reach out? And so, how long was it? And who did you try to reach out to? Um, well, after we had, you know, when Eddie came to me and asked me, or you know, just telling me that you know, in order for you to film this tour, blah blah blah. Within that same conversation was the agreement that I would be compensated for my time. Right. If I didn't end up going on tour. Right. Um, so we, that was it. We had that agreement. So even after that last night, um, even when they went on tour, it's like I knew Ed. And I was like, you know, at some point he's going to have one of those days where he goes, you know what? Call Andrew. We never did take care of him. You know, I knew, I just always had faith that day would pop up right. one day. And it just never did. Um, you know, I, I think I waited, in order to reach out, I think I waited about three years. Okay. And about three years that I reached out, and I was like, hey, man, do you remember this uh, conversation? And I only reach out to Matt Block. Um, Eddie doesn't really carry his cell phone on him. He certainly would never check a voicemail. I just thought Eddie Van Halen check a voicemail Right. Um, like everything goes through Matt Brock. You can't get anything without Matt Brock. But did you uh, did you call Matt or did you text Matt? Oh, I texted, I emailed. I'm surprised that I haven't used a goddamn messenger pigeon by now. Fly over fifty one fifty and drop some kind of scroll note. Right. Uh, no, I've tried and I've tried. And, you know, I'm always kind, I'm always respectful, like I think some people in my position, you know, would get angry or make some kind of threat. But to me, it's just like, I think there's some confusion here. Can we just, can we at least get on the same page in that sense? But radio silence, man. And, and, and I mean, nobody, and so so Matt never, never emailed you or texted you, called you, no, nothing. I've never gotten a response to any form of communication, ever. So, okay. I did send him a book. I did send him a book. You sent Matt a book? Well, it's for Eddie. Right, of course. Subscribe to Eddie. Right, of course. And enjoy opening the box. Well, that was actually my, my, my last question was, did you send him a book? But, we'll, but So, we're almost done here, but I wanted to say this. Okay, so, okay. So, but now, that was, to, that was 2000, and, so now we're up to 2010 is when you started making attempts. When did you stop making attempts to, to, to get a hold of anybody in the Van Halen camp? When did you officially give up? I think, I think 2010 to 2012 was just kind of a once a month, like, uh, hey, yeah, I mean, a lot, I mean, really it was personal stuff. I mean, not that I, not personal stuff, I'm not sure of you. But none of it was like, hey, you owe me this money. Hey, here's this invoice. A lot of it was like, just, hey, man, what happened? Like, one day we're all friends, and now this is happening. You know, just explain to me what is going on. Um, I mean, it got so frustrating at points that I started telling Matt that I 
will forget all of the money owed. You don't even have to pay me. If Eddie will sit down with me for five minutes and tell me why I'm in this position. That's it. You give me five minutes, and I told him, I won't talk. I won't argue. I'll say nothing. I'll sit there with my mouth shut, and you can get out and walk away. Nobody's taking me up on that offer. <laughs> do you, do you... But I, you know, and I didn't mean it from a smart-ass way. Right. I said, like, you know, almost like, dude, to close this chapter, to have some sense of closure, understand why this happened, it's almost worth more to me than the money. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, at the same time, though, and that, that's amazing. I was going to ask that too. So, 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 thank you for sharing that. But at the same time, it sounds like you had a real friendship with Wolf. You guys were playing Guitar Hero together, and you said so you got kind of yeah. both were kind of, kind of, kind of like, you know, uh, kind of bonded over what was happening. And he, in two thousand and ten and eleven, is like what? He's like eighteen at that point, nineteen. His cell phone would have been glued to his face, and you surely you had his number. So, yes. so I, I, did you? So you never reached out to Wolf? No, I texted Wolf a couple of times, just saying, "Hey, man, like I'm trying to reach out to your dad. Like, can you just hit me up? Like, I just want to chat." And I said things like, "No drama, nothing like that." Um, I'm sure Wolf said something to Eddie, like, "Hey, Andrew, text me," and Ed probably said, "Don't text him back." Whatever. Right. Uh, but with Wolfgang, like, yes, he turned 18, he turned 19 at this point. Old, late 20s. Um, the thing is, is, I can only, my expectations of Wolfgang are, are based on the kid I knew. In short, like, during my time there, Wolfgang was 15 years old. Right, right. So Wolfgang wasn't aware of, like, the agreements that his dad and I had made, what was really going on. You know, Wolfgang now knows about that last night because it's a book, but I just never hold anything against Wolfgang. It's really not his fault. Right, right, right. None of it's his fault. But yes, I mean, I'm a human being. Sure. I think to myself, now this kid is 28, a multi, multi millionaire. Of course, I'm a human being. Right, yeah. Wolfgang doesn't owe me anything. Like, if Wolfgang called me today and wanted to pay me, I would gladly accept that. <laughs> well, so, but but I still hold anything against Wolfgang. Well, right, right, but but do you think, or have you received any confirmation from anybody in the Van Halen camp that there that you have absolute confirmation or at least confidence in it that they're aware that this book now exists? Oh yeah, they're aware. <laughs> Can you? I did an interview with Billboard magazine not that long ago. What? Right, but can uh, you can you share? But beyond that, is there anything you can share of how you definitely know that they know? Uh, just from my own experiences, um, you know, like we, like, there's a list of names of people who buy the book, uh, obviously, but uh, a few names have popped up where I'm like, that guy works at Spender. Uh, I know that guy. Ah, uh, uh, or. Is, I just there's like four or five names where these guys have definitely called Matt Brock and said, "Do you know about this book?" Um, but knowing Matt Brock, he's known since day one. Right, but, right. But, I mean, the thing you probably know is your dynamic. Like bands have, I think they call it like the hanger on. Like the guys can just like uh. try to act like they're super tight with the band, but uh. obviously not really that tight. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, you know, for me to sit here and be like, mom, dude, like, uh, you know, she knows my best friend. She knows not my best friend. <laughs> she knows <laughs> else is, he's a friend. But if you ask me 80 questions about Chino, I'm not going to answer two. I don't know, man. Are you sending each other Christmas cards? Right, uh, right, exactly. There's, all, there's only a very, very Matt few. Brock, yeah. Matt Brock has a lot of those people, and I'm sure people who pay attention like Dan Halen's pop culture would know who those people are. Very fast. Um, you know, those guys love to, they want to be the one who delivers the news. Right. Know, I can't imagine how many phone calls Matt Brock has been a victim of going, Matt, do you know about this book? And Matt just put, I can see it right now, just putting his head in his hand going, yeah, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but hey, at the same time, though, like I said, I'm a Van Halen obsessive and have been for you know for 35 years, and I've never heard of Matt Brook. So this is kind of this is kind of entering his name into a lexicon without his consent, in a sense. So I almost was kind of thinking, like, I'm wondering if he was ever gonna like respond to it in any sort of way. No, I mean I haven't heard anything. Um, I haven't heard anything. I haven't read anything. I talked maybe off the billboard article, but no, just dead silence. I mean, if I had to make an assumption based on knowing Ed, is that he definitely has a copy of the book. There's no way he didn't get a copy of the book. Um, knowing Ed, uh, he read it, looked at Matt. This is just this is just what I envision. Is he looked at Matt and went, you know what? Not that fucking bad. <laughs> and then maybe even going, I mean, he called me a genius in the title. <laughs> you know? There's not too many rock stars that owe somebody money who, you know, worked really hard for them to then put out a book and call you a genius. Oh, God. They didn't do that to pander to anybody. He is a genius. Right, right. right. That, that's You know, I'll fall out the end to the fall out the end. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't still like him, certainly respected as an artist and you know for years people have said when are you going to write the tell-all book on Eddie Van Halen now it's only never I would never do that uh, but let me ask this people, go ahead go ahead and people say like well you know but he owes you this money and he's this and he's that and I said yeah well you know everybody wants all this dirt <laughs> you know right. everybody wants to hear about like you know, sex and drugs and this and that and you know, not only do I feel like those stories have been recycled a thousand times. Totally. Do you want to hear, you want to hear about a famous rock star who once, you know, went to rehab? Yeah. Oh, shock. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. But I do have to I'm ask... Shocked Keith, I'm more shocked Keith Richards is alive than rock star went to rehab. Right. But I do have to ask this, though. Okay, so, but you're not, like you said, you know, you never do the whole tell-all book uh, and that whole thing, but why now? Like, what? at what point did... Did this happen? And here's what I need you to walk me through, okay? Is so now, like I said, now we're at 2012. You've kind of given up in terms of ex- of ever anticipating or expecting that you're going to hear back from anybody in the Van Halen camp. Uh, eight years have gone by since that time, and I'm sure it probably took you at least a year to get this whole book together. So, so, so now take me to 2019. Why this book, and why this book now? So I had been pitched, obviously, like the tell-all book. People had come to me going, we'll give you this much money. Every 
person coming to me like a tell-all book and a rock star to some original idea. Um, you know, have you ever thought of writing a book? No. I was around Eddie Van Halen for a year and that never occurred to me. Um, <laughs> like, so, but I just noticed that everybody that came to me just wanted dirt and just seemed to be negative. And so I would always turn it down, I mean, for multiple reasons. One is, despite, you know, financial beef or disagreements with Eddie, that doesn't mean that I don't love and respect him as a human being. Right. And, you know, one of the biggest parts of it was, you know, one, those stories are stupid. I want to hear about that stuff. But the biggest one, and I hope it doesn't sound corny, is that Eddie Van Halen means a lot for people. Yes. And a lot, man. Like, people, a lot of their great memories of life are attached to concerts or hearing his music. Like, who knows how much virginity was lost in 1984, you know what I mean? <laughs> Bro, I, you're speaking to the choir right now. I mean, I'm, if you sold my exactly. office right now, you would you would get it for sure. Exactly. And, I, you know, I've gotten some, like, deep guys, keep in touch, talk guys, and you know, I've seen their setups. So my point is, is, like, you mean so much to people that, like, I'm not going to go in there and fuck that up for you. Yeah, but what about you, though? I mean, I'm thinking, why this book now for you? Meaning, like, is was this now something you finally felt like that you wanted to share or that you could share? Like, why why for you this book now? Um, it was kind of a combination of things. You know, not that anybody wants to hear about my life, but... I do. I got, I got sober five years ago. Okay. And part of my sobriety a lot of it was just about changing the way that I see the world, the way I think. And so for the last five years, I've been able to kind of get rid of resentment and anger and see things from a different perspective. So that's why I was able to like turn down certain book offers like that. You know, if those guys come to me in 2009, I might have done it. I see, um, okay, okay. But I was, a diff- I was just a different person at that point. And then, like, early 2019, uh, through a friend of a friend I met, uh, I made friends with a guy in New York who was a Van Halen fan and knew about my experience and we met and he offered to help me, you know, kind of financially get the book out there and he really appreciated and respected my approach, which is I'm not letting some tell all. I'm telling people, you know, 30 some odd great Eddie Van Halen stories. Right, right. And giving them, you know, you know, hundreds of some odd photos from one of the most, you know, reclusive rock stars and studios in history. Okay, so it's the and, holy, it's the holy grail. I could, this, I could see, I could see it in this guy's eye. I was like, this guy has the same respect for Eddie that I do. And no pun intended, we were on the same page. And so it kind of fell in my lap. All of a sudden, the universe is like, hey, you're not so angry anymore. You're able to talk about this and show the man respect. Here's this guy who can financially help you get this book out, and he too shares that same respect. So, like, all the pieces kind of fell into place. I see. And, and, and you're also doing it, like you said, you're doing it yourself, though, aren't you? But this is like a self published deal. You're, it's a very punk rock DIY thing. You're seeing the names of who are, are actually buying it. So, was ever the thought of taking it to like, like you know, like a Harper Collins or some type of bigger publishing company? Was that ever talked about or considered? Not really, because the capabilities of putting out your own book today are. I mean, this was a bit more difficult because we were 
hardcover coffee table book, but right. obviously you can self-publish today. Right. Um, and, you know, like some of those people that approached me in the past were from some of those, like, recognizable publishing companies. What? And what? they wanted me to write the exact opposite of what I wanted to write. I just wouldn't give in. And I also was always, I was always stuck on the idea that this should be a coffee table book. That this should be something that can fit in the rooms of the guy, of almost anybody. But, you know, I had the guys in mind who have, you know, a box of EVH ants off the record book. Right. You know, like all of that, I just thought like a nice hardcover coffee table book for the business rooms. So yeah, I was, just, I was lucky enough to meet somebody who had the financial ability to get it running. Uh, and, you know, a punk rock teenager. Right, right. Part. Totally, totally. So, I, I know that. I yeah. love it. I, I love it that I mean, that we was... Didn't even, we didn't even put it on Amazon. Uh, Amazon just takes a huge cut of everything. Yeah. You know, I've heard uh, I've heard authors tell me that Amazon makes more from their books than they do. They do. That, that, that is true. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, God bless Amazon. I know it's convenient for people, and I'm not trying to get on some political soapbox. Well, here. no, but you know, but, uh, but the richest man in the world doesn't pay taxes, so he doesn't get to take a part of my book. Well, yeah, but but, but see, like when you said earlier, how you were like, well, people don't want to know about my life. Well, I mean, you'd be wrong there. I mean, this 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 is why our show is different because I mean, this is this is just as much about you as it is about and what shaped you to, to make this happen. You know. Um, so lastly, let me ask this. Okay. So okay. So now, uh, so that so that's how that happened. So so now you're getting some kind of closure. Was there? Was there any difficulty, like, talk to me about the logistics in terms of, like, model releases and consent and that sort of deal. Since you actually took the photographs and you own them, was, but I'm assuming you never had any sort of model release from the people that are actually in the book. Um, was that a consent? Oh, no, we never had paperwork. Right. <laughs> so, so. No, I mean, I understand how people can think that we had contracts or this or that. I'm saying I know that you didn't. So, is there, was there any fear about about just saying fuck it and going with it? Um, I mean, in a sense, there's. I wouldn't say there was fear putting it out. It was. I mean, honestly, I leaned more on. I hope he likes it, not I hope he doesn't sue me. Right. I just hope he likes it. Um, so legally and like all that sense. Like, I don't say this like being cocky, but no, I wasn't really worried about it. And, you know, in a sense, like, I'm a starving artist in a New York City apartment. I have no children. Yeah. don't have a wife. Pretty much what you can take from me in those two pieces of like, yeah. idea. <laughs> so, so are you in New York right now? I'm in L.A. right now. Now, okay, I got I you. I usually am in New York. Got, okay. So, so, Even everything no. going on in our world, I got out. I see. So, 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 but you, if this wasn't happening, like you would be, in, like you live in New York. Yeah. Okay. And well, I lived there, like I said, from 2006 to 2013. What, what part of New York do you live in? Gotcha. Okay, cool. I, I, I moved around quite a, quite a bit when I was here. I lived in Greenpoint for a while and, uh, I started off in, uh, in Cobble Hill, lived in Manhattan off of 57th, uh, and 8th for about a year, but it was, as you know, quite expensive. Okay. So, all right, so now, the very last thing I have here, let me make sure I, I got through everything here. 
Uh, speaking of New York, uh, I'm proud to say that, man, I was there at the Met, uh, and I got to be, for the Pure Volume exhibition, um, they let a few people, like people like me, kind of in first on that on that first day. Uh, so I actually got to go in uh, and check out the, the Frankenstrat guitar without having to deal with a hundred other tourists and other Van Halen. It was just, right. it was just me. I was alone in the room, and it was just... Okay. I mean, it, it was already in case. I didn't get to see it in the wild, but uh, uh, but it was just me and that guitar, and I was awesome. in there for like twenty minutes. And I loved it that this was something that you would just move off the couch. <laughs> well, no, I went to the bed. I went to go see it. One of my friends finally convinced me. Uh, he said you should go. And at this point, I was in a better headspace. Like I was like, I probably don't enjoy this. Um, so I went there and. In there staring at it, and my friend goes, so What are you thinking? I just go, I used to move that thing off the couch so I could go to sleep. Now it's in a museum. I mean, look at the margin of that. And if nothing else, I would have made you go with me because you you would be able to, to tell me, unlike probably anybody else other than Eddie, that that is in fact the real deal. Oh, it's the real deal. Uh, and, and what's funny is it was just interesting to see, I mean, not interesting to see it in museum. Right. You know, in the long, long future that it's already done something like that. But uh, it was just funny because here's a really famous guitar. Uh, what I mean, probably the most recognizable guitar history. Totally. You're basically holding like the holy grail of of just not just guitars but music, and you know. And I've now, like I said, I've seen it up close. It looks like it's been through hell. I mean, just and it's you know it's a forty year old guitar, but it just looks like it has been you know to hell and back. Um, okay, so last question for now. <laughs> um, okay, so how much footage, like? All that footage that you shot in 04, we know what happened to that, but all that stuff that you shot from 06 to 07 that makes up most of the 212 days and nights, who has that footage? Do you have it? Yes, I have it. Okay, so you have that footage. Yes. Um, okay, and how much footage do you have? I mean, how much of, of it is there? There's about 60 hours. Okay, okay. And then, and, and then, what, is it like in some safety deposit box at the at the at the bank? I mean, where where are you storing this shit, man? It's in a safe place. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. And what is the likelihood in your mind, if if anybody besides you has anybody but you or the band? Have you ever had like a friend over and it's like, hey, check this out for a second? Has is anybody ever seen it? Right. We all edited our own work as well. And um, and these guys loved it. They were like, 
I said, man, he just started shredding this thing in rehearsal last night. Like, you got, you guys have got to see this. And I go, what is he playing? I'm like, dude, I don't think he's playing anything. Like, he's just in another zone, man. This is just like, I think he's just making this shit up. I don't know. And I put it on that plays for about five seconds. My friend says, pause. He goes, Andrew, do you know what he's playing? I said, no, man. He's just messing around. He goes, Andrew, that's called eruption. <laughs> oh, my God. And you and never and you never heard it before? No. And then he just stares at me and goes, you undeserving motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he said it so I didn't have to because you realize, Andrew, that the very first time you ever heard Eruption, you heard it live. And when I mean live, I mean you're standing two feet from him and yeah. it was the first time he played it in three years. And that is the first time that you're hearing Eruption and you had to have you happen to have a camera in your hand. God, yeah, you yeah, want... I, was also, I was also filming it happen. Combination of like, you know, I'm supposed to be looking at this screen, but I'm looking at the screen and seeing what's happening. And I just have to look up and I just look at those hands, and I'm like, I, I was to watch it physically. I did not understand what was happening. God. And then, as far as what I was hearing, I'll quote Slash. The first time I heard eruption, I thought there were aliens coming out of my. <laughs> well, and that's how I described almost how I described it to my friends. I couldn't even put it into words. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. God, you undeserving motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. so, but, but I will say this in my defense they did get to come to the Friends and Family show, and they did get to meet Ed and get the hug. Well, no, you're a good, you're a good dude, man. I always love hearing how you paying it forward and all that, and and of course, all you know, all, you know, all kidding aside, of course, and I, uh, and you earn your, you earn those again, no pun intended, you earn those stripes, man, because I know is is fantastical and downright, you know, just dream like scenario of getting to to live a year uh at 5150 uh again me being around musicians and touring and doing that whole shuffle for as long as i've done it i know i know for a fact that no matter who it is it wasn't all fucking roses and flowers and eruption and fun i'm sure there were days where you probably hated that motherfucker and didn't want to come back and that is and that goes for everybody that goes for everybody there weren't days where I hated them. I never hated them. There were days, like any human being would think, which is, am I ever going to get paid? Yeah. What am I doing here? And I, and I get it. Like, for any Van Halen fan, they would have taken a year off work and gone to do this. And I have my handful of fans that I feel the same way about as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of days where I was like, you know, my girlfriend just dumps me because of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even at one point, at one point he even says, oh, I'm glad you're going to do that thing with Dave because somebody in this band should be paying me. Like, you... That's that's what he said. When I talked about the Dave thing, he didn't care and he said, quote, somebody has to be paying you. In that moment, thought, yeah, no shit. Yeah, but I don't know if I, after that much time, I would have been like, yeah, motherfucker, you. Like, what am I doing here, right? You know? Uh, and and you're not even and you're not even the Van Halen fan. Like I said, you're not even doing this because you're like, oh my god, this is a dream. So so what what was your motivation? Trust. I trusted. Him. So what? It was that simple. 
Okay. To, I mean, to pay me, but also motivation was those days were awesome, man. Like, it was awesome. Oh, oh yeah. Out there. Oh, yeah. You know, by the time my desk and my computer got brought up there and I could edit the music videos, I was shooting from the outside there. Um, it just kind of became like a second home. Yeah. So, you know, there were a few and far between. But then, yeah, of course, there's days where it's like, what am I doing here? Right. All of a sudden, rehearsal was canceled, and you're like, okay. Um, luckily, I was, again, directing music videos on the outside, so it wasn't like I was just sitting there twiddling my thumb now that there's no rehearsal. It's like, well, I have to edit this horrendous Nickelback song. <laughs> right. And, uh, okay, but you also said something earlier, too, that I, I want to ask. When you said that people had come to you that knew about your experience that were in a position to publish something, how how were they aware of your experiences? Like, how did they know that this uh, happened? You know, I never understood how the word really got out. But, like, the word got out in just, like, you know, the entertainment industry and this and that. Like, everybody's two degrees of separation away, um, which I guess can be convenient. For me, it's just annoying. Um, I'm not a big Hollywood guy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either, yeah. So... You know, word had gotten around, and I knew that word had gotten around finally when, what year was it? I want to say 2016, 17, one of those. Um, I was in LA, and as Hollywood shit goes, my friend is a big fan of Kiss. Uh, his cousin is a super connected, famous guy. Kiss was doing this bare bones rehearsal. It was like little shitty sound things, crappy part of Hollywood somewhere. But the rehearsal room was the polar opposite of a KISS show. Right, right. The exact opposite. And this was the first time I realized, I was like, wait, how do people know my name? Uh, was seeing Gene Simmons. Of all people in the world, uh, Gene Simmons had been in my Nickelback show. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, okay, okay. So, I did a video for Nickelback called Rockstar. We had kind of like celebrity cameos lip syncing a Nickelback song. And... Gene was one of those people, and before I went to Gene's house, this is how little I knew about Van Halen. I asked Eddie, uh, I said, I'm going to Gene Simmons' house today. Do you know him? And Eddie just laughed and said, Jesus Christ, you know nothing about my <laughs> Yeah, how do you, how do you not know that story, man? Come on. I just, I just, because, you know, Ed and I talk more about, you know, my bloody ex-girlfriend and dying. The history of Van Halen. Um, well, when you and, and I, do, you know, when you and I do get to have that beer, I'll ask you those questions too, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Eddie, got, you know, Eddie kind of explained. Well, he explained it very, very easily. So I'll tell you two things about Keith Simmons. One, he'll tell you he discovered Matt Allen. Yeah, he will. Two, he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> but Andrew, because Andrew, tell my head hi. It'll make you look good. <laughs> And, and it so, did. I it, so, I, so I go to this rehearsal, like, you know, sit through it, watch kids, awesome, they're in like jeans and t-shirts, who would have thought? And after the rehearsal, my friend introduced me to Gene. And when I had gone to Gene's house that day, I did tell him, I said, Eddie Van Halen said hello. And the first words on Gene's mouth were, you know what, he's killed Van Halen, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Eddie told me you did like, some demos, and finance their first demos some mysterious demos that never came out. He goes, yeah, sure did. And uh, he goes, and how do you know Edward? 
I said, well, it's hard to explain, but I'm filming some things right now. Room? Huh? Tell them I said hi. And that was the gist of our conversation at Nickelback. Or I shot it at the house, of course. But, you know, I leave his house that day and back to 5150. Eddie comes in three hours later, throws an envelope in my head. Two, three, you got something from Gene Simmons. And I open it up and the CD says, the original Van Halen demo by Gene Simmons. And you received them at Eddie Van Halen. You got got mail from Gene Simmons at Eddie Van Halen's house. Brother. uh, Well, God damn. can't think of a better way to end this uh, than words from Ed himself. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this. Sorry. Go ahead. If you fast forward, fast forward years later, I'm in LA, I end up at this rehearsal with Chip. Uh, afterwards, my friend introduces me and he says, you know, Gene, you want Andrew with that before. And she goes, oh yeah, I And I said, you and my uh, Nickelback video from Rockstar. He goes, oh yeah, that video was a hit, wasn't it? Though, but he must have been talking because, again, people are starting to know who you are and know that you have this story. So you think the majority of it might have come from Gene? And also, okay, and again, I mean, I know your work speaks for itself, but, you know, for a while it seemed like that you're kind of in a bit of an in-demand director. I mean, you're, you know, Jonas Brothers and Nickelback and all jokes aside, I mean, that, that, that this is still respectable work from high-profile artists, regardless if you like like the actual music or the content or, or, or whatever genre it's yeah. in. What? How are you getting these gigs? I said, how are you getting such high-profile gigs during this time? I had an agent, um, 
I mean, like, way back when Death Song's video had done really well, and the stuff I had done for Katy Perry, as gritty as that was, um, she was famous at that point, so she was now, like, on my website. That garnered a lot of attention. And um, I was lucky, man. A lot of, you know, a record label called Roadrunner Records out of New York that has Nickelback and Slipknot and a slew of metal bands um, I know the label well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they give me a lot of work and were able to, you know, help me build up my reel and like, you know, I did a video for the Dresden Dolls. Van Halen fans will love to watch it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did a video for the Dresden Dolls and Amanda Palmer, who's a genius and the singer in that band. Oh, yeah. Uh, the name of the song is Shores of California. I know, the, I know it well, and, yeah. And I, you know, we talked about the concept. I said, what do you want to do? And she goes, I want to do a shot for shot version of David Roth, California Girls video. Oh my God. So Amanda Palmer is wearing the like tour guy hat and the whole thing. Oh. And then we, we mixed it up a bit with her personality. So it's not shot for shot. Right, sure, sure. Um, no, I was really lucky, man. I, you know, Roadrunner believed in me. And, you know, unfortunately, I missed that era when music videos cost, you know, $500,000. Right, right, but, right. Uh, but I, re- I really wasn't big on concepts and over-the-top stuff. I really, like, you know, shoot a rock band. I think most of it should be performance and seeing the band. Yeah, yeah. I want to watch a movie. I'll go pick up some M. Night Shyamalan shit. But, yeah. Well, if I want to see a Death Song video, I want to see Chino screaming. Yeah, you want to see them, you know, in their element. You see them kicking ass. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, even, on the, even on those videos, usually when you're on direct me i would love to see that deftones uh documentary uh is it available on yeah. youtube i can just go on youtube and get it okay well, you cut out for a second what, what, what is it called it's called entertaining okay it's about got it okay cool i'm writing that down right now um god damn andrew this was so much fun i i cannot yeah, man, I, we could I could do this all day, and I would, and I hope that we will do again. And I hope after all this nonsense and when in person shit becomes a thing again, brother, I'd love to to do something, uh, you know, in person. And even if off the record, I'd love to to have a beer with you. One well, sober, so I'm a cold soda. Okay, but, well, but uh, you know what I mean. I'll bring, a, I, but I'll I'll bring a hard drive and regale you with hours of Van Halen. Oh my God, dude! I, I'm telling you, I'll be on a plane like tomorrow if uh, I, as soon as as soon as this uh, COVID thing uh, washes away. And you know, if you're a Kings X fan, brother, I've got I've got, I've got. If you're a Kings X fan, I now have the Holy Grail in that world. Yeah, right. In that world, so I, 
So, so maybe we could, uh, maybe the barter system uh, uh, could work out well. But yeah, I, I would like. You have no idea how much I would love to see that. It would be so much fun. And, and I love when I when I show footage to people. Usually, I just watch the first. Yeah, yeah. I, I have I have you shoot a reaction video. Footage. I just look at the looks on people's faces, and that is awesome. Oh. Yeah, that's like, and that's been awesome about the book. And I'll leave it with this. Like, you know, obviously, I was concerned. Van Halen fans are very passionate. Yes. Uh, Eddie's a sensitive subject. I'm just a serious dude nobody's ever heard of. Um, how is this going to go over? And it's been amazing. But, again, as corny as the sound, I am raised by Northern California deadheads. So, right. sometimes the hippie and he comes out. But, man, I'm so happy that, like, people have found happiness in it. Like, the people have emailed me and said they've waited, you know, half of their life to see the inside of 5150 or... You know, what really got me was that people really did catch on the fact that I wrote with respect. Yeah, yeah. There's entertaining, there's entertaining stories in there. Like, does he put a gun to Fred Durst's head? Sure does. But, you know, who you're rooting for in that story? That's right, and, and but this is why I had our producer and everybody reach out to you guys because again, I mean, again, to know me is to know my love of Van Halen. Again, if you sold this studio in here, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm that guy. This book is fucking porn for me. And but the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is that I do get quite a bit of Van Halen stuff from time to time, and it's and it's. Some, a lot of it is subpar or mentioned earlier you know people writing books and they never even spoke to anybody in the fucking band and it's just this hearsay stuff and to me even if they're not saying anything disparaging to me that is an is a parasitic act that is disrespectful as somebody that that had this singular vision and is now opening the doors in a sense to let people in in a respectful way also into what it looks like inside 5150 Studios, that alone, it was, like I said, today is like Christmas fucking day for me to be able That's to awesome, look at man. this That's book and to talk hippie, about it. The hippie in me, my hippie DNA goes, dude, that's what this is all about. All it was was I've been spitting all these photos and stories for all these years. I wanted to share it with people, do it with respect, obviously. That's right. Uh, you know, or as I explained it to many people who would say, I mean, you've been with a celebrity, or, you know, you spent all this time with a celebrity, shouldn't you write a book? And this sounds corny, but I always told them the same thing. I didn't spend time with a celebrity. I spent time with a fucking legend. Yes. Huge difference. Yes. Huge difference. Huge. <laughs> Legends deserve respect. That's right. You know? That's right. And that's exactly what he gets. Well, we... But he still put the gun to Frederick's head. Right, right. <laughs> well, we will be in New York uh, again after all this uh, blows over. Uh, Paul Schaefer, uh, from remember him from the David Letterman show? Uh, he is a uh, he was somebody who was really um, like if you ever watched the David Letterman show and if you know the King's X, oh, yeah. uh, so whatever. Whenever they would come back from commercial, the song uh, like the band would be kind of playing a song. They were almost always playing King's X. He was a a big really? supporter of theirs. Uh, and then when Jerry, no yeah, and then when Jerry was in the hospital, Paul sent this really great thing. And so we're going to be up there. Uh, we 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 had it scheduled for March. The whole thing was was set up. David Frick uh, from Rolling Stone. We we, we have. About a week and a half, we have about a week of shooting uh, a whole battery of uh, of um, 
of interviews for the, for the film. So we're going to be in New York and be in New York soon, as soon as we're able to do that. So, uh, brother, if you're in town, I will stay in touch, man. I'd love to, to, to hook up with you in person. Uh, and again, do, you know, if, right, right, right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, but, but like. Right, I, but but here's also but Doug Pinnock, the uh, the singer uh, from for, uh, for the kind of the main focus of the film uh, yeah, from King's X. He lives in Van Nuys, right there by Balboa Park, right there by the airport. So as I was saying, was I'm in New York and LA a lot, and so it's some so sooner than later. Uh, anyway, but Andrew, again, man, my my endless gratitude to, to you, my friend. This was was so much fun, and. Of course. Anytime, man. Call me anytime. Cheers, you. Cheers, brother. Bye-bye. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Andrew Bennett. Holy cow. What a great freaking episode. Maybe my favorite ever. Uh, get this book, man. Eruption in the Canyon. Uh, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Edward Van Halen. Um God, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. Um, once again, uh, check us out on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. We are everywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor.fm, uh, Google Play Store, Player FM, Stitcher, the whole bit part of the iHeartRadio family. Uh, check us out across the board there. I'm on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. I'm actually going to leave you uh, with something else also from our own team here. And that is uh, our DP for our King's X project as uh, a guy named Marcus Miller, who's also in a great um, REM tribute band here in, in Dallas called What the Fuck. Actually, that's what I call it, but it's What's, what's the Frequency, Kenneth, uh, or What's the Frequency, what they're called. And so from the REM song, What's the Frequency, Kenneth, because he's also a songwriter. And kind of in the spirit of the whole what's going on right now, he's written a song called The Six Foot Rule. I will leave you with that and check out Marcus Miller online. Uh, he's part of the Video Wise group. You can find him on Facebook under Marcus Jeffrey Miller. And any and all projects that you need, he is the greatest freaking dude behind the camera. And we will see you next week. Six foot
Only time will tell If they are clean enough But excuse me while I wash my hands And I'm practicing social distance Yeah, I'm practicing social distance Yeah, I'm practicing social Six foot rule. Yeah, I will follow the six foot rule.